On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I are joined by a special guest, longtime NBA veteran and former 76ers shooting guard, J.J. Redick. We go over everything from his time with the 76ers, his thoughts on Brett Brown, what went wrong with the relationship between Brown and Jimmy Butler, his biggest regrets during his tenure with the 76ers, commuting to Philadelphia from Brooklyn, what a resumed NBA season might look like, how his time in Philadelphia came to an end, and what the future holds. Please be sure to check out J.J. Redick on the J.J. Redick podcast, wherever you consume your podcasts. With that out of the way, enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek and Rich. This week joined by former Sixer and current Pelican shooting guard, J.J. Redick. How you doing, JJ? I'm I'm probably doing about as well as everyone else. Uh, no, but we're 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 hanging in there. You know, it's uh it's a day to day sort of like challenge, I guess. But um, yeah, we're doing good. Everybody's healthy, which is the most important thing. And um, you know, we're just uh, following all the the protocols and guidelines and uh, trying to get through this like like a lot of people. Yeah. No, I always I always say whatever complaints I have, and look, it's impossible not to have a complaint in this really weird time, but it's very minuscule. You know, I've got my job, I've got my health, my immediately fa- immediate family does as well. So it's hard, hard to complain. That being said, it would be great to see human beings again, but we will, we will yes. get there. We will get yes. there. Yes. Well, that's what makes this thing so unique is that in some way it's disrupted everyone's life. Now, some people's lives obviously have been more disrupted, and I, I have incredible empathy for them um, and compassion for for what people are going through and the in the struggle, um, you know, with unemployment going up and and people needing food and people getting sick. Um, so to say to to even remotely complain, I, I it's just. It sounds like it sounds terrible. It, yeah. I feel guilty even remotely complaining. So let me let me take back all those complaints. But um, <laughs> but it is it is just uh, it is incredible how uh, how everyone on on some level has been uh, disrupted by this. Right. You can I, th- I think you can point out the irregularities without while keeping perspective that it's not a it's not a sure. real complaint. Um, sure. I guess how does so right before this all the, the sports world ended, you had been going through a was a hamstring strain. Yes. Is is that is that over? Like did that impact your rehab at all? Are you feeling okay? Like you know, I I so I was uh, I was right at uh, two weeks, um, a little over two weeks out from my PRP. So I did it on a Friday night. I had PRP done Saturday morning. We met fine when they closed the practice facilities. We met that we were allowed to meet that morning, which was a Monday. So I was a little, a little past two weeks. So I had been basically at that point cleared to start moving a little bit. And I had done a, two weeks of full rehab and treatment. And the Monday, you know, that the, the following Monday, I was fully cleared to just begin all activities. And obviously, like everybody else, I'm, I'm limited to what I can actually do, yeah. um, from a logistical standpoint. Um, but yeah, my hamstring is, uh, is fully healed. Do you have a place where you can get chats up? Um, I may have found a gym. I may have found a gym. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an advantage from all these guys that I read about that like live in apartments or in cold weather or, or whatever that say they have like nowhere to shoot. And yeah, 
Yeah, I would say the the hour a day I get to do that has really helped mentally. For an athlete, your sport is your normal. And to have some sense of normalcy during this has been a, a gift, an absolute gift. Um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm in a place where I got access to a, a private gym and it's not my private gym, but you know, I'm able to use it and, and get, get shots up. I guess going back to the logistics of that, you know, I, the only thing I can really equate it to is a, a lockout shortened season where it just seemed the whole season seemed funky. Like because you sort of like it was an abbreviated season, you didn't truly know when it would start. Like you kind of hit the ground running really quickly. Like it felt like maybe like teams that had been together for a while or veteran teams maybe had a little bit of a leg up. Like, is there any thought like, and especially with you guys, you know, you guys got Zion back pretty late. You're playing pretty good ball. Um, I think you guys have like a plus 10 net rating when he's on the court, which reminds me very much of like an early career in B. But like, how do you think that impacts like maybe some, some teams that like I said are veteran, maybe they have a little bit of ability, a little better self-policing maybe during this uncertain time. Like it's it's just so weird because I don't even know like, At least in the off season, you know when you're building towards. I have no idea when we're building towards, and we're all going to jump back right. into like the most consequential games of the season if we are lucky enough to actually get basketball back. Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. So, so first of all, um, who knows if any sort of competitive advantage will even be relevant? Yeah, I mean, you know, our, in the case of our team, like, will we get? five games and have a chance to make the playoffs, maybe 10 games to have a regular season. Will they go straight to the playoffs? And then in, in terms of a team, like let's say the Lakers, will there be even be a season? So I'm not sure that any sort of advantage that anyone has, if one or two guys on a team, you know, have access to a court or a backyard hoop. Like, I don't know if that's really going to matter. Um, and then, and then also too, like uh, I was going to say that, in regards to the the lockout or even just like a normal regular off season, you have access to a court, you have access to a gym. Most guys have, you know, a basketball trainer in the off season and most guys have some guy some body trainer, right? So you're having somebody, you know, work work you out, do your correctives, lift weights, all that stuff. This is all now self sort of self regulated and um, you know, for instance, like I, I would love if someone could just work on my right hip flexor right now. It, <laughs> it, it seems kind of tight. I would love it. Um, so the the ramp up period, I think if there is a season, the ramp up period will ultimately, to me, be a leveler. So any if one or two guys on a team have a court, I don't think it's going to matter when you have that 10 to 14 day window where you're basically some form of what we had that last week before they finally shut all the practice facilities, which is one guy on a court with one coach using one ball, lice all everything down. That's from what I've heard. The plan is to kind of have some form of, of sort of team quarantine for two weeks before you get into like real practice. Right. And if, if the season did end today and, and you guys were, you look, what I think about three games out, that streak's still, it's still alive, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about that a little bit. It's, I would say it's sort of like, um, you know, a very low level asterisk of like (laughs) the lockout year when the Spurs won, you know, people talked like, Oh, they they only, they only won it in the lockout year. 
And of course, you know, they, then they won four more. Um, LeBron wins in the lockout year. There's like an asterisk next to it, you know, and then he wins two more. So, uh, I would say, honestly, if we, if we don't make the playoffs and the season ended today, uh, you know, and they go to the straight to the playoffs, then I'm like, I didn't make the playoffs. Streak is over. If they just end the season, right. then I gotta, you gotta say like, there wasn't a playoffs. I didn't miss the playoffs. Next year's in play for that's, sure to keep that streak alive. That's fair. That's fair. The one of the things I was hoping to see a little more this season. Um, I was a little disappointed. Was a little hyper speed two man stuff with Zion. And uh, I looked. You didn't really get a chance to do it that much. Was um, was that just a matter of like he was injured for most of the year and and then you were hurt a little bit at the end too? Yeah, for sure. Some of it. You know. So he was hurt till like mid January, I would probably say the first six games back, we, I only subbed for him. <laughs> so <laughs> I would, I would, I wasn't even playing with him on the, on the court at the same time with him. And then of course I got hurt. So then I missed five games. And then honestly, we just don't have anything in our playbook that gets to that. And because Zion is at the four a lot on our team, he's kind of more in like the dunker area than spaced out. So, and because our offense is just, honestly, it's mostly just random. Uh, we just never organically got to a point like where, you know, with Joel, he knew where I was on the court at all times. And you could even see that, you know, in, in our A to B, or if, if we were bringing the ball down after a miss and sort of like a slow transition and the ball swung to him up top, like he would scan for me. And, you know, that, that obviously didn't happen the first, month or two when I first got with the 76ers that took, you know, two seasons to really, really develop. Um, so I'm hoping, yeah, I mean, if you, I would love to get a two man DHO with Zion on the left side of the court where he's turning to his left, I'm coming to my right. Um, you know, I can pull up, I can pocket pass, you know, he's attacking now with his left hand going left. So yeah, it would be great. I think that that'd be some good action. I would think so at some point. This one is uh, is random, but I- I've been curious about this since you talked about it. One of the highlights of last year, it was like a random game in February. You brought up how cold the arena was in Philadelphia and, you know, the trouble you had with like Icy Hot uh, before the game or whatever. So so how is the arena temperature in New Orleans? Are, are you back to a routine <laughs> in that way? Uh, yeah, no, the, the arena temperature is good. Um you know, so it was, it was Dr. Hoy's is a, is like a, an, uh, it comes in a green and black bottle. It's like a, it's an organic version of Icy Hot. And so I'll, I'll just explain briefly, but basically I had used it my whole career. I would, I would bathe myself in it essentially before the game and I would smell like menthol in warmups. <laughs> and, um, usually around like the tip, like it would really start to get warm. And so you're, you're like fresh and ready to go. But what I found in Philly and just in general across the NBA is they've really turned down the temperature in these arenas and it never warmed up. So I would just be cold. And um, this year, so I stopped using it last year. And even though New Orleans arena is a little bit warmer, I think the uh, the Dr. Hoy's was, was more just in my head than any actual like uh, benefit to my body. <laughs> I realized I could still like, go out on a court and play in an NBA game without having to bathe myself in, in a, in a menthol lubricant. Yeah. 
<laughs> I will say the Wells Fargo Center is cold. Like if you've never stood yeah. on the floor of the Wells Fargo Center, I'm like I'm sure it's because it's a dual purpose arena, but it is it is chilly. It is definitely chilly. Like how I remember long have you guys uh how long have you guys covered the Sixers? Uh and like I been th- going to the arena. Yeah, I think I probably started in I want to say like 2011-ish, um, full-time since 2014. Okay. Wasn't there a game where they couldn't play because the the court— Against the Kings, right. And I don't know what year that was, but there's been some speculation within the Sixers organization that since that game, that's when they started really turning the temperature down. Like, I want to say there was a study. Somebody told me this during my time in Philly, somebody at the arena, and they told me there was like a study— and the Philly arena, Wells Fargo, was the coldest arena by like two and a half degrees on average. I just, I found that very interesting. I found that very interesting. It wouldn't shock me if it was the coldest in the league, for sure. All right, let's take a brief break from our talk with JJ to talk about the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suitor tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you can imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your shooter tuxedo from theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code Sixers. That's theblacktux.com, code Sixers, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. And now back to JJ. All right, so I guess moving on, one of the things you mentioned on your podcast with Jimmy was that you, yeah. you had a pretty good idea that you wouldn't be back during the exit interviews. I guess your yeah. sense of that, was that more like, did you think they were going in a different direction for skill reasons or was it because this was like the last summer they had cap space and they wanted to sort of make a splash or like, what was your, your sort of read on that situation? Yeah, no, I mean, Elton was transparent with me. I mean, look, he, it wasn't like he said, we don't want you back. He said, we want you back. Um, and uh, Philly made an offer. Um, I, just, you can, you can read between the lines a little bit. And I got the sense that they wanted to be bigger across the board. That was just the sense that I got. Um, you know, so much of our league, every team is sort of a copycat league. And, you know, you, you look at sort of last season with the Raptors and um, the Bucks, and, you know, with the wings and the, uh, the, the, the front court, like it just, they're just big. And so I, I got the sense that they wanted to be, to be bigger. And I also, you know, even when, uh, they made the moves and sort of, you know, Joel stayed at the five, but then, and Joel and Ben at the one, but then everybody else across the board sort of went down a position, right? Al went right. five to four, Tobias four to three, Josh three to two, you know, it was sort of inevitable that they would have 
I would call it an uneven regular season. Um, but ultimately, and, and hopefully this gets to play out, hopefully we have a playoffs. You know, I think the thinking, and I'm not speaking for Elton here, but, you know, the thinking was, of course, like, you know, to build a team that could beat the Bucs or, or beat Toronto in the playoffs. It was interesting they did that, though, because you, you guys defended pretty well in that playoff series, and it was just kind of this grinded-out type of thing. Like, yeah. did you, you know, I, I wonder, yeah, I think they thought that they that uh, being bigger would help them, but, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, they certainly would have been able to switch a lot of stuff, but. Yeah. I also know that, like, you know, the other thing, just in terms of having that sense, right, you know, again, very, I, I love Elton. Uh, let me just say that. Uh, I, I've known him for, you know, most of my adult life. And he, he's, he was a mentor to me before we ever worked together. I mean, he, he was great to me when I was a very young player in the NBA. So again, we were talking, you know, even just as friends in that exit interview. So it, again, it wasn't like I left the meeting in a huff or was mad at Elton. It was just, oh, you know, I know now having been in the league 14 years and seen the evolution of our league is that, you know, when you're close, you know, inevitably you have the the desire to like change something. Let's change something. Well, this didn't work. Let's change something. So I, I was, I totally understood the reasoning behind it. You know, I would have, you know, I, I've said this before, so it's not a knock on New Orleans, but I would have loved to have, you know, been back and, and finished my career in Philly. Well, I guess going back to, you you mentioned talking about changing stuff. And you were part of two really good starting fives in Philly. Um, you know, the first year with Coven Sharch, I think it was like a plus 20 net rating-ish. And then last yeah. year with Butler and, and Tobias, just right around there and pretty limited minutes, but right around there in yeah. terms of effectiveness. Do you think that maybe that constant change, like how hard is that on, you know, you've got Ben and Joel who are supposed to sort of be like your foundational pieces. How tough is that for a young player or two young players in this instance, when everything around them is sort of changing? And not only that, but it's changing at a time where the expectations rose pretty rapidly into, you know, you went from let's make the playoffs your first year there to we should make the NBA finals in your second year. And it seemed like that happened in a blink of an eye. How hard has that changed for, I guess, those young players? I would just say this. Ben and Joel are, are both incredibly intelligent people and incredibly intelligent players. So they're smart enough to figure it out. And they will figure it out if they haven't already. It's hard not just on them. I think it's, it's hard on, on, on the coaches. It's hard on the team. I mean, look, you want some level of continuity. And going back even to that first year, you know, it, it actually was like, hoping we make the playoffs and I actually screenshotted uh, prior to that year, the BPI projections. Uh, I think I did maybe 538s projections, Kevin Pelton's projections. I screenshotted all of them. I'd have to look them up on my phone, but I have them from September of that year. Um, I mean, they were saying we were going to win 35 games, 33 games, 36 games, whatever. It was somewhere in that range. So it was, wasn't like we're going to make the playoffs. It was like, let's hope we make the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're like, 14 and 18 at Christmas. And then we go, whatever, 30, geez, my math's bad today, 38 <laughs> and 12 from then on out. Uh, so we go from like hoping to make the playoffs to, holy shit, we're a three seed. Uh, we might be able to make the conference finals, you know, yeah. maybe even the finals because we had played Cleveland really tough there at the end of the season. So it happened so quick, so quick. The expectations, the pressure, all of it elevated super quick. 
Then you make the trade for Jimmy. Then you make the trade for Tobias. You're all in. You know, they, they, they use their cap space on Al. So it's like the chips are on the table. You're all in. So, yeah, the expectations, the pressure, all of that, it happened very quick. Um, and, you know, Ben, it's crazy to think Ben's in his third year in the NBA. Yeah. His third year of playing, um, which, is, which is wild to me. Yeah, it, it got real really quickly. I mean, that, that winning streak at the end of, what was that, 17-18, when you guys won 18 games in a row, I don't think you were Bellinelli missed for like three weeks in part because of that. Um, it just, it was like the next year, you know, you start out a little bit above 500, Joel's playing really well, and it's like, what the hell? This isn't good enough. Um, yeah. So the other thing in your podcast that I thought was pretty interesting, and I think this is probably what most people want to hear, honestly, uh, what was your interpretation of Jimmy saying that he didn't know who was in charge? Like you're on record saying that you love Brett and um, yeah. and you were on board with him, but it, it seemed like Brett and Jimmy, for whatever reason, just didn't seem to click. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I don't. I'm not going to speculate on on what Jimmy meant by that. Um, you know, you can assume that he partially was talking about Brett or or Elton or ownership. I have, I mean, I have no idea. The, the assumption, of course, is maybe he was talking about everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would have like, I wish, I, I wish that you know, Brett and Jimmy could have clicked. That 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 would have been great for sure. He's Brett's such a hot button issue for us. Like literally after every loss, his name gets brought up. You've played in the NBA for a long ass time now and yeah. for a lot of different kind of high profile coaches, I would say. Um, where does Brett kind of fall on the spectrum of like his his style compared to the other guys you've had? Just like how he manages the locker room, you know, plays, all yeah. that different stuff. I think Brett's one of the best Um He's, uh, I would describe him as a, as a player's coach. Um, he is incredibly thorough, incredibly detailed. Um, the thing that I always appreciated maybe the most about Brett was how thoughtful he is. There's a purpose to team meetings. There's a purpose to film sessions. There's a purpose to practice. There's a purpose to walk through. There's a purpose to your daily schedule. Everything is so thought out and meticulous. Um, it's, I, I think, one of the, the main reasons that he's who he is as a coach and has gotten to this level. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know there's – we're all aware of it, right? You know, I, I know there's some, some level of um, – oh, man, I don't know what the word is. Maybe – animosity or displeasure uh it's it's always easy to blame certain people but um like i would i mean i would I'd love to play for brett again i don't i don't think i don't think brett is the problem if there's a problem you know, sometimes things maybe just don't work um i'd also say like in reference to my time there i thought we accomplished a lot that first year and i thought we were so very close to getting into the conference finals and really having a chance to win last year. And, you know, that was with Joel. I believe he, he missed a game. I know in the, in the, um, in the Brooklyn series and was under the weather in the Toronto series. So, you know, that was without him sort of being at his, at his best, at his, as his physical peak, you know, in the, in the middle of the playoff series, we're that close so, 
to me, it's that, to me, you know, <laughs> it's like you're, you're that close. And then, and then if you, you know, you can, you can dissect this season with Philly, however, however you want. And uh, you could probably go in a lot of different ways with that. The, the idea of being close is pretty interesting to me too. Like, I, I'm curious what your take on that is because I think you mentioned on a podcast that you wish the team did like more team meals last year, but right. regardless of whatever the chemistry was, and, and you know this better than anybody, you know, that team was really close to maybe doing something really special. And, right. you know, whether you close out game four against the Raptors, the ball bounces normally at the end in five minute overtime. Um, so I'm curious, like if, if you look back on that season, do you, do you have any regrets or, or do you mention like, or do you think like maybe I'm playing the results a little bit too much because, you know, the, the margin really was so thin at the end of it? Do I have any regrets? Um, man. You know, I, I would probably say no. You know, you ask that question, you, you immediately start thinking of memories from that, from that season. Um, but no, I don't, uh, I don't have any regrets. I, you know, you, you always sort of nitpick yourself and what you could do better. And you go to, you go back to specific games for sure. I think my regret is like game four against Toronto. Um, if I could go back and, and just like, and I said something, you know, early in the fourth, but I, you know, in, in a huddle in the timeout, but if I could just go back and like, just redo that fourth quarter, cause that to me was, you know, that was our chance to, to really, um, take control of the series. And after that game, we were, you know, we were playing behind because now you've, um, you've given them home court back and you, you know, at that point you're like, pretty much we have to, you know, we have to go up there and and beat them and win at home or, you know, win there twice and probably going to be a game seven in Toronto. Um, so that would probably be my one thing is I wish we could get that fourth quarter back in game four. I guess going back to culture, you know, I think something I've, I've heard pop say a lot, Brett say a lot, like a lot of your culture comes down from sort of like your star players, your, your, the guys who the team's built around. How much of an impact can a coach really have in terms of building that culture? How much needs to be set by the players and the veterans and how do you sort of balance being a player's coach? Cause I think some people would be concerned that maybe being a player's coach could go too far in the wrong direction versus being sort of like a little more of a authority type. Yeah. And this isn't necessarily just Brett, but like, I I would just say, so in a, in a, in a specific sort of way, I would say I actually, at least I cannot speak again on this year. I would say in my two years there, I actually thought, you know, we, we did have uh, a good culture, um, a really enjoyable culture, um, two of the most enjoyable years of my career. But, you know, the, the, the one thing that I think just happens naturally in the NBA is, you know, the, the, the fit and then time, right? right? So the fit could be like personality. Um, the fit could be on the court. Uh, and then time, meaning the more time you spend together, um, you know, there's, chances to sort of come together and there's chances to, to splinter apart. So I don't, I didn't get the sense that like the culture was being broken at all last year. Whereas like I've spoken on this before, but like, you know, I felt like our first like three years in LA, we were like super tight. I thought, you know, we had a heartbreaking, uh, you know, game five loss year one against Oklahoma city in the, in the Western conference semifinals, where we're, we're up, 
like nine, eight or nine with a couple of minutes to go. You know, we lose that game. We're up 17 in the first half, game six. We lose that game. We're up 3-1 against uh, Houston. We lose that. Year three, um, Chris and Blake, we, we, we get the news that Steph sprained his knee. So we're like, oh, our window's there. We got them in the second round. We're up, you know, we're up 2-0 or whatever it was, 2-1, whatever we are up against Portland. And within like five minutes, Blake tears his quad tendon and CP breaks his hand. Then the next year, you know, in game three, our last year, we're, Blake tears something in his toe or something. And so we're up in that series. Like we just, we, we squandered some chances. We had some bad luck. But by the end of that, like you could sense that there was like some level of dysfunction in culture. Didn't get that sense last year. Um, so, you know, I, I, I to, to answer your original question, like, yes, it is on the coach to help establish that. And it's also on the players. Um, but look, I, I would say this too, like this isn't a knock on Joel Ben at all. Very rarely are the best players the best leader. That's, that is super rare. I mean, you're, ta- you're literally talking about like two or three players in the last 20 years, literally two or three players in the last 20 years. Now there's some other guys for sure that could be the best player on a team and be the leader, but I don't know that those guys can be the best player on a team that wins a championship. So of, of like the Tim Duncans and the Steph Curry's, those guys are anomalies, absolute anomalies that they're the best player on a championship level team and they're the best leader. And that's not a knock on Joe with Ben at all. That's not a knock on them. I'm not knocking them. I'm just telling you there's anomalies. There's like two or three of those guys in the last 20 years. Right. And not only that, but they're 23 and 25. Like we said earlier, yeah. they went yeah, from like entering the NBA to let's, you're let's supposed give, to win Let's a give them a chance. Title. Yeah. Like I said earlier, Ben's in his third year in the yeah. NBA. You know, let's give them a chance to grow as, as people and as players. Um, for sure. For sure. Very well, very well put. Does Ben talk more behind the scenes? Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm just going by the media answers he gives to us, which are usually right. um, they're pretty bad. And I think you had the good analogy the one time of like him staring at you behind a police wall. That's kind of we got, well, I got that from M. Night. I got that from M. Night Shyamalan. OK, so that's, Sorry, that I'm was not. that was his. That was, I don't want to take credit for that. But he, he was basically, yes, Ben sort of stands behind a glass wall and observes and watches and takes everything in and records it and is smart enough then to make decisions based off that. Yeah, Ben, but yeah, for sure. Uh, does he talk more? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally talked to Ben two days ago. Uh, he talk, I, I found him to be awesome uh, in the locker room, planes, whatever. Yeah, ben, Ben's great. One other thing I think, about this. I, I, look, I know the narrative, like not the narrative necessarily, but I know from having played in Philly for two years, I know how a certain group of fans are about Philly athletes and Philly coaches. I, look, I know how they are. That's That's fine. The nitpicking at times can be a little ridiculous, and and that's okay because you're you're a sports fan and you're allowed to do that. But it just because it's what you think or what you say and you're nitpicking, it doesn't make it true at all. It doesn't make it true. Now you're allowed to have your opinion. By all means, have your opinion. Watch the games, cheer for your team, boo us when we suck. I get all that, <laughs> but just because you're nitpicking doesn't make it true. Yeah. You missed a lot of booing this year. They got booed pretty much every game, which is pretty funny because they won every game for the most part at home. Uh, they went 29 and two and got booed. <laughs> 29 and two and led the league in boos. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Expectations great. have a, a, a funny way of transforming. No, that's, but that, that, that is, that is a lot, a lot to do with it for sure. 
Um, I mean, we, I, we got booed when I was, I got booed. I got yeah. booed. Um, walking <laughs> off the floor of game one against Brooklyn. I got yeah. booed off the floor. It was, oh, yeah. uh, it was humiliating. It was humiliating for sure. Joking question, but do you live in Baton Rouge and do Pelicans fans and media members care? Are they insular enough, <laughs> enough that they care if you live in the city limits? I actually would like you. Can I, can I actually address that? Can I, can I actually address that? Go for well, it. I, no, I live in New Orleans. Uh, okay. we, we, we rented a place in New Orleans, but everybody knows our, our home is Brooklyn. You know, I, I played in LA for four years. Um, when Chelsea and I were finishing up my contract in LA, her sister had just moved to New York City. My, my wife has a twin sister. She just moved to New York City. So this was 2012. We go up there in the summer. We're thinking about maybe just getting a little apartment there and having that sort of be our home base because they want to be together. And I love New York City. I've always have. I love being around people. I love being in cities. So uh, we didn't particularly like it. And we had been looking at Austin. So we decided, hey, you know, let's, let's, go, let's go buy a house in Austin. We don't have kids yet. We'll have some fun. See what happens. No state taxes, right? I get a little tax benefit. I didn't know I was going to sign in LA. So I go sign in LA. We start having kids. Now we're living in LA and we're living in Austin. Our entire family's on the East coast, save for my brother who lives in Colorado. So we decided we sell a house in Austin. We moved back to New York. I finished up a four year contract. I'm going into free agency. My expectation is I'm going to sign a three or four year deal. Um, it was a weird summer and I got a three year deal from Houston, a couple two year deals from like Brooklyn and Minnesota and a one year deal from Philly. Now, the Philly one-year deal was awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I also went there because I felt like it was going to be a great basketball fit. Now, we had just moved across the country. I'm going to a completely unknown situation to a team that I know damn well at no point in time, even if I was to play there six years, is going to commit long-term to me. So our thinking was, let's, we got Knox in a great school. Let's just keep him in the school. I'll commute. Didn't know it was going to turn out the way it did, where I loved it, and I loved Philly, and I loved playing there. And then, of course, the next summer, going into it, I know I'm going to sign another one-year deal. Why would I then pack up my life at that point and go down there again? It doesn't make any sense. So I did another one-year deal. At that point, like I'm thinking, oh, we'll see what happens next year, or the summer, rather. And who knows what would happen if I had signed a longer-term deal. But my expectation was that long-term deal from Philly was never going to come. And, you know, the timing of everything just worked where my family wanted to be in Brooklyn. I was cool with it. It was literally the worst thing that I've ever done in my NBA career. I fucking hated that drive every day. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. I've spent more like time on the New Jersey Turnpike than anyone, save for maybe, you know, truckers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. It, Philly has a lot of Philly fandom, specifically sports. The sports culture has a lot of weird weird places we got like we philly used to debate whether or not kobe bryant counted as being from philly because he lived a couple miles outside of the city limits we right. have a weird thing about right. i don't know i don't always get it yeah I, I myself grew up an hour north of philly so i don't even know if i count <laughs> it's a it's a very you're provincial from like place. the general area it should count right it, that's what i think and then i spent 11 years after college in this city so i feel like i'm a philadelphian but i, I don't always know i don't always know yeah all right, let's take one more break from our podcast with JJ to tell you about Hydrant. Top performers in business and in sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. 
It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help hydrate you quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code SIXERS at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code SIXERS for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code SIXERS. And now back to the podcast. I guess moving on to more like team building type stuff. Yeah. The Sixers are a very interesting team. Uh, you've got a post-up yeah. center in a league that pretty much doesn't post up. And then you've got a point guard who right now isn't comfortable shooting outside of the paint. The Sixers have tried a couple different ways to sort of pair off of that. Like they drafted Markel and what we all, you know, all the reasons we fell in love with Markel as a prospect were with the ball in his hands. And then yeah. they sort of went the other way where now Ben has it a lot more. Uh, there's no real natural pick and roll creator. How would you pair Ben? And how do you how would you, how would you play off of that sort of weird skill set in today's NBA? Like, what's the perfect yeah, guard um, to put next to? I mean, you obviously you would want uh, like a lot of shooting around him. I, I think it was very. It was right before uh, the NBA season was suspended. I can't remember who wrote the article. I feel like it was an ESPN article. But anyways, it was an ESPN article. I think regarding sort of the Ben Joe fit and the numbers kind of say that when they're on the court together, they do pretty good. 2018, pretty good. 2019, pretty good. 2020, still pretty good. Not as good. Right. So I don't think they're changing. So maybe the people around them are changing. That to me is like, again, just goes back to, you know, the right fit and the right pieces they, I, I think that they can fit together for sure. And like I said earlier, they are both incredibly intelligent and I'm always betting against or betting for guys that, you know, are smart enough to figure things out and they will. I was pretty curious because you were talking about Philly as a, as a sports town. I'm curious how the, uh, how the media attention differed from, from other places, because I think on, on one of your recent podcasts, you were talking about, I think you had a discussion about like should media be in locker rooms and stuff like that. And I feel yeah, like I did. I did have that discussion. Yeah. And I feel like when you said there's more people in there now, um, I thought to Philly because sometimes it feels like there's like 50 people in there or whatever. Is the um, <laughs> is the attention more in Philly, would you say? No, I, I think it's certainly in the upper echelon of of places. Um and in regards to the media being in the locker room, I, I think I made this clear, but, you know, as we sort of discussed this on my podcast, w- really the time that I have a problem with is like before the game. There's at times it seems like there's just like 10 to 12 people in there and they sort of just linger and they're not really asking anybody any questions or they're waiting on a guy. Other guys are like trying to change. They're trying to eat their pregame meal. They're trying to listen to music. They're trying to read a book, whatever it may be. And it just seems like it would be nice as a player, because a lot of these, you know, older arenas, you don't have like a player space to go to and sort of, you know, be alone, you know, prior to a game and get your mind right. That's kind of what I was referencing there. Um, I thought the, I mean, the media attention, like, you know, you know 
when you sign up to play in Philly that there's going to be a certain amount of attention. You know, Philly is like a huge sports talk radio uh, town, so there's going to be that aspect of it. You know, fans are very willing to give their opinion on things, so there's that. So you know all that going in, and it's part of the experience. And, you know, I again, like, I'll take that over, like, apathetic fans <laughs> any day of the week. Any day of the week. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I mean, it, it just feels like there's a lot of people. I mean this as a compliment, too, because it means you're listening to the questions. I've never seen someone answer to the level of the question like you. Like, if you get... <laughs> a good specific question, you give a really good answer. But if you get something general or cliche, you really don't have time for it. And yeah, no, I, I'm a redirector on those. I'm yes. a reader like Matt Ryan, our PR guy with the Pelicans. He actually said that to me, like after the first month or two, when I was in new Orleans, he's like, I've never seen a guy like that. If somebody asked me, a, I'm not going to say a stupid question. Sorry. That, that sounds wrong. A very cliched general question it's just like you're just looking for like some quote here. It's not it's not interesting. I'm going to give you basic. But if you really want to dive into the weeds with me, let's do it. I'll, I'll give you what you need for sure. Thank you for saying that, by the way. On at least two different occasions, I remember you saying like, well, you know, in order to game, win game three, we have to score more points than the other team. And I, I just it's like almost like a mini pop where like you have to be on your toes. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, I, you know, I said this and I, 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 I mentioned you guys and I mentioned Kyle on one of my podcasts recently. And I, I, I mean, I meant this, like, you know, I, 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 I appreciate the grind that you guys, you know, are under and that you have to go through, uh, in covering uh, a team that plays 82 times and that practices and I get all that. So I, I like appreciate if you are like thorough, I really do. And you, you know, you're willing to like understand synergy and you're willing to understand second spectrum and you're willing to understand net rating. Like there's one NBA announcer, I'm not going to name the team, who still talks about like <laughs> defensive points per game yeah. as if defensive rating doesn't exist, as if, as if it's still 1990 and we're talking about how many points per game a team gives up. It's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. So I appreciate people that are as passionate about the game as, as, as I am. That's, that's just the truth. You, you might have had a quip about a national announcer when you came back to Philly um, on TNT, who you said you had to mute the game. And I'll just say I agree with you uh, on that one. <laughs> I, actually, I actually said basically the same thing on my podcast yesterday. It just came out today. So. <laughs> The, the one thing I will say with him, uh, I'm we're talking about Chris Weber. Uh, <laughs> I think when he starts a sentence, he doesn't know how it's going to finish. It's a, uh, mm. it's, mm. it's a pretty long thing. I don't know. I, I would. So, I know. Um, so Kara Lawson, who came on the pod yesterday, she said she was talking about her broadcasting career and, you know, her enjoyment in doing games, but then also realizing maybe like she wanted to, to, do studio stuff because nobody's really good at both. And that's the truth. Nobody's really good at both. And I said to her, I said, Oh, you mean like Chris Weber? Cause I think Chris actually in the studio is good I'd agree with that. on TV, on TNT. I have to mute, mute the games. Like there's no, there's no way around that. I just have to mute the games. All right. Two more quick ones. And then we will let Did you, let me just say one thing. Cause yep. people, I, I, I don't even know if people really, the, the greatest the greatest, one of the greatest things 
that he has ever said on air, by the way, was a couple years ago. He was talking about the Warriors, and he said, these guys genuinely enjoy watching each other get off. <laughs> and to not just have any wherewithal to just like, what the fuck? We had, we had a baseball announcer who was talking about a player pulling the ball too far. And he said, you've got to jerk off the ball. And it was just like, <laughs> what? You can't, you can't do that one, buddy. You can't do that one. Anyway. Can't say that. Can't, can't say that. So you have one of the more unique, two more, and then we'll let you go. You have one yeah. of the more unique sort of athletic profiles I think you'll see. And I mean, I, I, like, that's not a this at all. Like, I think how we measure athleticism a lot of times is very narrow-minded. Like, it's what we can measure yeah. at the combine. Whereas, like, your yeah. athleticism, what I'll always go back to is, you, I got that one shot. You were running full speed in the corner. And caught it, got your feet down, and made the yeah. shot drifting out of bounds. And it was... Lakers game. Okay. Yeah. It was one of the most remarkable shots I've seen. But if you could change your profile by adding either two to three inches of height or two to three inches of wingspan, which would you prefer and why? The wingspan. Okay. The height, the height doesn't matter. All that matters is the wingspan. That's where I think I really got gypped. Because there's even like defensively, let's say, I can stay in front of a guy and he can just shoot over me. If I get beat, I'm not... I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have the wingspan to really recover. Whereas, like, I've seen guys that are, you know, all league, de- all league defenders, first, first team, second team, all league defenders, who can't stay in front of anybody, but they get their hands on the basketball all the time because they have wingspan. They're able to recover. Um, so, yeah, I mean, wingspan is the is the obvious choice. Like, I, I got, I got, you know, I got really shorted there. <laughs> Really shorted. Would the answer be the same if I changed the height to vertical jump? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think I I think I would be like if you said you can jump four inches higher, same wingspan, or you said you could be three inches taller, same wingspan. I would be like five percent better. Okay. If you said you had a better wingspan, I think I would be like twenty percent better. Right. Which would be huge. And the last one, what will be your lasting memory of Philadelphia? Either the time, like either from a city perspective or from the team perspective or just interactions with the people. That's great. You know, uh, there's probably a few things to be honest with you. You know, Rich, uh, you brought it up earlier, but that it was a 17 game winning streak, but the, the 17 game winning streak, you know, last 16 um, games of the regular season, and then the first game of the Miami series, for sure. I felt like in Philly, like more so than in LA, because I did have them in LA and I did have them in, in Orlando too. You know, you have those like fans that are like at every game and they get there early and you have your like your little routines with them, you know, and then like you get to see them, you get to know them, maybe you do a charity event with them. Um, we did a dinner with, um, with Mark Vetri and Zach Ertz and his wife. And, you know, met some of the, um, some of the, some of the team sponsors that had, had bought the dinner and like, do, like stuff like that. I loved the crowd. I've never played in an NBA or for an NBA team that had a crowd like that. So I'll remember that for sure. Um, I'll also remember all of my driving on the turnpike <laughs> that, that I will remember. And then the one thing that I would just say, the people like Brett and Ben and Joe, um, assistant coaches, you know, front office, it's just, I, I, I just loved them. Like, I, it's like, I, 
I, I know I, I'm only a year out or only a season out, but like I talk, I still talk to, to a lot of those people on a regular basis. And so like the reason that I've, I've like loved my career, you know, I ha- I've never, never won a championship, never made an all-star team. The reason I've loved my career is because I can look back at each place. I can say, oh, this relationship happened there and I still have it. This is like a lifelong relationship that I've built in these places. And ultimately, that's really all that matters. Um, there's always going to be another season, another winner, more all-stars, more, you know, more players. These guys coming up now are just incredibly skilled. So it's like <clears throat> you set any record, it's going to be broken. The, what matters is the, the relationships you build with, with, with people that you work with and the people that you play with. So that to me is like I'll, I'll, I've taken that wherever I've been, but it's been really special in Philly, like really special um, for sure. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing that now in New Orleans. Like New Orleans is an incredible place, an incredible place. And um, I've, just, I've just really enjoyed, you know, each place I've been, I've just I've really enjoyed. And I, I know I didn't bring up Milwaukee. Um, I just wasn't long. I was, I wasn't there long enough. Okay. I wasn't there long (laughs) enough. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Well, I guess, I guess we'll just sort of mention this because I think some people are going to see the title of this podcast and maybe sort of feel a certain way about the timing because of, of maybe some, uh, other podcasts who may have been publicly recruiting you on Twitter. Um, I guess Rich and I, you know, we had, because we have so much time on our hands, Rich and I were going to reach out to people for guest appearances. We had your own on two weeks ago because he has a book coming out. Is the timing of that completely coincidental? No. Uh, Spike is a, a troll. He, he likes to point out that um, he is the only Sixers podcast. So will I be happy when Spike sees us and gets mad? Yeah, sure. I'm not going to lie about that. But also of all the people that we've interacted with, I think over the years, you have given the best basketball answers and had the best engaging discussion. So thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thank you for your time and thank you for trolling Spike with us. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you guys for the time. Thank you for the questions. Uh, and even though I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out of there, like all love for Philly, all love for the 76ers. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Look at that. We got him on without having to send our, our, our listeners to cyberbully him. Amazing. Amazing. All right. <laughs> take care. All right, See, man. Later. See you guys.